Good evening. You're listening to Three Moves Ahead, and I'm your host, Rob Zachney. Joining me today is Three Moves Ahead founder, Troy Goodfellow. Troy, welcome to the show. It is good to be back. We also welcome back freelance writer, Rowan Kaiser. Hello. And finally, we welcome, nay, we receive a visit from the game, game king himself, Sean Sands. Thank you for having me with your wonderful intro. Thank you. A little, little royal wave. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yes. A little, little wave from the wrist. Bestow my benevolence. Yeah. yeah. There you go. Uh, so first, my apologies for the delay in posting this episode. If you can't tell from my slightly echoey audio, uh, assuming our producer Michael Hermes doesn't decide that he cannot live with my audio and uh, cleans it up completely, uh, I'm recording in a large, empty office in my new apartment in Dorchester. Uh, so I had to pack up my entire office set up a few days earlier than I thought, and that kind of blew our recording schedule out of the water this week and forced a delay of our March Patreon topic show, uh, Atlantic Fleet. So keep an ear peeled uh, for, for that next week and accept my thanks for your patience. But while I was unpacking, uh, I started coming across a lot of old games and faced that familiar question of what to save and, and what to throw out. And uh, pretty much like always happens Every time I move house or even or even change my office layout, uh, I spent way too much time reading the backs of old game boxes and uh, leafing through instruction manuals and and generally revisiting a lot of old memories. Uh, What's an instruction manual? Yeah. Well, <laughs> so there, there were these there there were these dead there were these objects made of dead trees uh, that uh-huh. told you how to play your game. And also frequently had like tons of useful reference information that otherwise you would never really internalize. Scrolls. Uh, You're talking about scrolls, right? Uh, yeah, I, I, yeah, I get that. Yeah, yeah, yeah pretty much. Um, you know, you can you can see you can see some you can see some manuals uh, like in, in Washington, uh, for instance. If you go visit like the Library <laughs> of Congress, uh, sometimes they have our, our country's manuals uh, behind glass. Uh, anyway, they weren't very effective. <laughs> Debatable. Uh, there, there, there were a few patches required, and then they kind of stopped developing it. And there were yeah, we, so so we just learned to live with some issues. Anyway, um, so it got me thinking though about why there are some games, you know, in that in that collection that you know in that walk down memory lane. Why there are some games you immediately like you come across them and you're like, oh man, I would love to just I would play that right now. That would be fantastic. And then there's other games, even games that you used to really love. Where you find yourself sitting there and thinking, like, I don't think I ever really need to go back to this or even want to play it. Uh, and it got me thinking about sort of what what makes some games uh, age gracefully, let's say. Why some of them endure despite being, you know, fairly archaic. Uh, while, while some games that, that were fantastic in their time uh, age so poorly that when you go back and play them, it's almost impossible to even understand what it was that, what it was that actually made them great. Uh, so, you know, I, I guess I, I wanted to gather, gather you guys around so we can sort of, you know, take, take that trip down memory lane together. Uh, but also talk about, you know, for, for you guys, what, you know, what, what are some, what are, what are, what are some of the things that, that you find when you, when you go and revisit older games, what are, what are the things that, you find driving you away more than anything else? You know, for driving away, it is just sort of, um, 
for me at least, it is sort of a, a, a it, there's an apathy about the game, right? When I when I get into that situation, I recently did something similar. I was cleaning out a closet and I ran out across a bunch of old games from like 2003 and like, you know, right away, you know, I pull like the Vampire the Masquerade box out of there and I'm like, oh yeah, I could, I could absolutely do that. You know, immediately followed like the battle for Middle Earth and I'm like, hmm. No, 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 no. I, I want nothing. No, thank you. Never again. Uh, and, and it really is, you know, when it when I think of a game like Vampire or Rise of Nations, which also came out that year, it is there's something that just sort of stirs emotionally about that game. There's some sort of connection that it made at the time I was playing it. Um, you know, whether it was just, you know, in, in the case of something like Rise of Nations, just this sort of grand reimagining of something that had become really staple and stable at that point and you know just you know that 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 feeling of unlocking this new way of playing a game you know and vampire just had this aesthetic about it you know there's always something in those games that have sort of a definitive oomph to them an emotional connection and then i have this box of other stuff you know that's just like that i look at and 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 not necessarily it's not always you know battle for middle earth i never want to touch that again sometimes it's just oh god impossible creatures i forgot that was a game that ever existed you know well i sure did (laughs) (laughs) i know exactly i pulled that out and just sort of looked at it dumbfounded for a minute like i bought this this is this is fifty dollars invested at some point in my life when i assure you i had less fifty dollars in my in my account than i do now and 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 i pull it out and i'm just like oh mm, yeah you were a thing right it didn't it never sort of crystallized in into some sort of emotional connection for me yeah i'm gonna go the opposite way and say that it go super pragmatic and say that it's the interface um the the way I usually think about this is kind of the difference between Master of Orion 1 and Master of Orion 2. Uh, Master of Orion 2 is like the classic everyone talks about. It's the sort of core of the space 4X genre, um, much to its detriment. Um, not that Master of Orion 2 is a bad game, just that everyone tried to copy it and because it seemed so defining. But I think Master of Orion 1 was actually a better game in terms of creating a sort of strategic simulation that was like making you make interesting choices and not just kind of going through the motions of um, following the preset mid-maxing. Um, <clears throat> and the key difference, though, is that Master of Ryan 2 had a bunch of cool stuff that made it look better and feel better to play, and I just can't go back to Master of Ryan 1. Like, the mouse clicks feel like they take you know, two seconds to actually do the, and this is more graphics than interface, but it's uh, um, so, everything is so cramped on the, I think it was probably 320 by 200, um, where Master of Ryan 2 got up to, you know, 640, and that's uh, distinctly more visible, and the everything about it just, like, looks and feels, and the race customization is all so much better that i cannot go back and play master ryan one even though i have distinctly fonder memories of the actual game itself once i got into it um so yeah it's it's about like what games have managed to stay like physically playable for me I guess I fall somewhere in the middle. I mean, and Rob, when you projected this topic aging gracefully, my first thought was, you know, maybe it's not the games that aren't aging gracefully. Maybe it's me. 
maybe it's, <laughs> of course it was <laughs> it clicks in, you know, the fact that you know i part of what rowan is saying i mean it's not that a lot of these old interfaces these crappy interfaces i was a master of but when it's a mm. game that's you know 10 12 15 years old you have to learn it all over again um i mean even when you and i were playing rise of nations a few weeks ago uh, rob we had you were asking questions like, how do you do this? Where do I find this? I mean, just basic, simple stuff that we should know, like this. We should know that down pat. And it's certainly a game we both had, you know, many dozens of hours in. I probably had hundreds in. I can't speak for you uh, when it came out. Uh, but, you know, it's your mind fades. And even a really well laid out game with a great interface like Rise of Nations, you got to find that stuff all over again. We eventually did, and we kicked some computer ass because that's what we do. We go and we kick computer ass. But there was a reason we picked Rise of Nations. And, you know, I mean, there are lots of bad interfaces out there, but you often forget how bad the interface is until you actually try to start to play these old games. And then you see where it has aged gracefully. Like, has, has imperialism aged gracefully? That's not the most elegant interface. Even now, it hasn't aged especially well. But I think it's a game that has aged quite gracefully because, as Sean says, it taps into some sort of an emotional connection with me. And for me, it's largely because, wow, nothing like this has really ever been done since. And Rise of Nations is kind of the same way for me. There hasn't been an RTS that has really spoken to me as strongly as that one has, except for maybe Age of Mythology. Um, and they came out in roughly the same time frame, um, the golden age of RTSs. So there is this nostalgic pull that makes you want a game to, to age grief. That's what brings me to these old games. But I look at things like, a, you know, Medieval Lords some, or some old DOS games, things I would love to play again. Have they aged gracefully? Hell no. Medieval Lords, I have Crusader Kings for that. Um, even though I've got this emotional connection to it. But, I just, but it's been done better. It's been improved. So aging gracefully is often, it is this emotional thing that Sean says, and it is this mechanical thing, as Rowan says. But I guess it comes down to choosing, you know, what do we mean about when a game age gracefully? I mean, is it just that, oh, we can, is it like you were saying last week with board games? Great show you did from RabbitCon with, you know, uh, Julian and Rob and um, the other Dave. Um, <laughs> and the other Rob. David uh, Heron. Yep. David Heron and, yeah, and the other Rob, that's you. Uh, about, you know, board games, you can just pick up and play and everyone already knows them and they're easy to learn and it's great and it's amazing. We kind of like to have that sort of stuff in our computer games world but you really can't discover just like the old board games until you take them out and start to play them and engage with them it's really hard to tell what's aged gracefully or not you and i found rise of nations aged perfectly wonderfully um and i think it still holds up um that's why i always i always reinstall it uh but remember it wasn't on steam until just in the last you know couple of years so we wouldn't have known how well it aged gracefully unless we hollowed our discs and had, or had just begun moving and found our discs and went looking for them and installed it. Um, so there's this kind of, you know, technological barrier to even discovering how a lot of this stuff works or how well it works. Well, and I always think there's sort of a distinction to be made between the moment of discovering it in a box somewhere and wanting to play it and then actually playing it. Because I have that all the time, you know, mm -hmm. particularly my my good old games folder is full of games that I played for 10 minutes and went, I think I'm just going to remember this fondly instead, because that's that 
I mean, and then I think that goes to the core of of the of the mechanics point, which is you know, older the older game is, the less likely it is to uh, kind of live up to the, the the preconceived expectations you have of how a video game plays now. And and I find myself very susceptible to that. And often I will even you know even sitting there thinking I could figure this out, but at this point, what I really want to do is stick with that feeling I had when I found it in the box, rather than kind of you know exploring and exposing it for all its 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 modern flaws uh, i think troy hit the sort of mechanical thing and this is a difference between strategy games and a lot of other genres is has it been done better um and i think that in a lot of other genres you don't even get people asking like do i want to play this old game because they iterate so consistently first person shooters mm-hmm. for example like pretty much every big first person shooter has had a sequel and it's probably had a sequel or a reboot in the last couple of years and all of these things are trying to iterate on what makes it great a few of them you know stand out like doom but you know for the most part there's call of duty 3 and then there's call of duty 7 and then like <laughs> these are probably doing something better in some way um where like the sort of physical act of engaging with the game is um it feels legitimately better to do a newer one most of the time whereas with strategy games and rpgs which are so sort of mechanic oriented um you can get games that theoretically have not been surpassed but if they have been surpassed in how they feel in terms of the interface or in terms of something that makes it more convenient, then it's a lot harder, even if the mechanics might be better. And so something like imperialism with Troy mentioned, like we have not had like an economic 4X game like that come out. Like those have not been surpassed in any way. No one is trying to do that. So those are still going to feel good, even if the interface is not there. Yeah. I, um, that's actually that actually ties into something I was thinking about when I was uh, listening to Troy talk about our games of um, Rise of Nations. I think something that has a huge influence on how I sort of greet an old game is the degree to which I've seen, like basically that design copied and updated through the years. Right, like I think there's a lot like Rise of Nations has a little bit of a, a busy interface. Um, it's, it's, it's a little bit, it's certainly not in keeping with a lot of, of current interface conventions, uh, which isn't necessarily a bad thing, right? Like I think right now there's a tendency to maybe make interfaces almost too lightweight, uh, at the expense of displaying information on the screen that the player would want at hand. But Rise of Nations very much goes the other direction, uh, which is that it, it it kind of sort of bombards you with, with icons, uh, in the, in the nineties tradition, uh, that you sort of have to have to puzzle out, but the reason that that stuff, after a little bit of disorientation, uh, you know, sort of getting used to how the game works, uh, the reason that still feels like really fresh and wonderful to me is that I think I can count on one hand the number of RTSs that have even, you know, worked even loosely in that vein, right? Uh, there, there just haven't been a lot of RTSs that have gone the Rise of Nations real time 4X route. Uh, with you know, with, with like a ton of civ elements sort of mixed in, uh, and and so th- there, like, I am sure if somebody were making 
a new Rise of Nations type game every three years. I'm sure the the more recent editions of that series probably would have been pretty refined and they might have made uh, Rise of Nations look pretty shabby when you went back and revisited it. But the fact that I literally can't have that experience except in this one game means that I have nothing to compare it to. I can compare it to other RTSs that maybe have slicker interfaces, but who cares? They're a different game. They're not giving me they're not giving me that same thing. So I think that's why like a game like Rise of Nations ends up uh, aging really well because you kind of you know if you if you want that experience, that's the bargain you make, right? You have to sort of meet the game on, on its terms. Whereas you know, if if you want to play, if you want to play like uh, Command and Conquer Red Alert, which is one of my favorite games, you know, once upon a time, really, why wouldn't you just play a more recent RTS, right? <laughs> there's there's no reason except you know maybe maybe you want to see some like ridiculous old cutscenes with Tanya, uh, you know, there's there's no reason to go back and go back and do that. Really, uh, you might as well play any number of RTSs that have sort of worked in the same vein and uh, done it uh, done it much more elegantly. You know, I think there is a point that I think Troy made that's that's really interesting, which is I think this shifts from genre to genre. There's a lot of flux there because I would say I agree completely with that take on it from a strategy games point of view and particularly an RTS point of view. You know, I loved I loved Warcraft 2. I played Warcraft 2 for years that was you know that was my game for for a long time i have no desire to go back to it though because it's been iterated upon so many times and improved you know in so many ways that it just doesn't hold up but if i look at like the rpg space you know i could go back and play Baldur's gate 2 right now i could go back and play torment right now and you know could you? I think I could i could play torment Tor- I, I play torment torment just... is really rough actually if, yeah, it, but if you're trying to fight at all, it's horrible. I agree, but that's not why I loved that game. That's what, I, and that's sort of my point is that I think uh, you know the RTS games ultimately are as much about the mechanics as they are sort of the aesthetic and the other things connecting to it. But you know, I it's only been three or four years since I played Torment. And yeah, you're right. It doesn't, you know, if you look at something like, uh, you know, Divinity Original Sin or Wasteland or, you know, some of the more recent stuff. Yeah, obviously much better mechanically. But I have, I can, I, I can forgive all of those games flaws every time I try and jump in. I mean, I, I, I guess I can understand that because I do the same with Fallout, but I always bounced right. off the the Infinity Engine games from the beginning and trying to go back and actually complete them. Um, Torment is arguably the most difficult because it, it has the least amount of mechanical sort of band-aids that the other games ended up having. But, 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 I don't know, but after... could anyone here go back and play Daggerfall or Betrayal at Crondor? That's, that's my real question. <laughs> Daggerfall wouldn't... Would... That, that wouldn't run on machines back then. Why do you think it's going to run anything now? <laughs> Daggerfall I have done, and I think Daggerfall is sort of one of those games that it's the last game that did what it was trying to do, like with Morrowind and from there on, Bethesda was trying to do a different sort of open world thing where Daggerfall was trying to do uh, this like grand huge space that you only ever see like two percent of where these other games are like you can see all of it if you just want to walk enough um uh betrayal at condor is a little difficult and i think this gets into um one of the specifically technical things which is that in about 
1995 or so, you had this huge technological switch from um, 2D to 3D, from keyboard to mouse, uh, from um, discs to CDs or cartridges to CDs. And all of these things sort of added up to make games from 1995 or before appear technologically like really primitive compared to even something from 96 like Daggerfall or beyond. Uh, uh, I think this hits games like TIE Fighter really hard. Yeah. Um, (laughs) Yes. I'm sorry. Um, (laughs) And I think it, I think it would hit arena over Daggerfall. I think, and I think it would hit Betrayal at Crondor, when if Return to Crondor had not been trashed, like Return to Crondor would be more playable, but um, I think also when you talk about Warcraft 2, I believe that's 95, it might be 94, but it's it's hitting that, that sort of divide, and I think that divide is a lot stronger than a lot of people realize. Yeah, I think I think there's, the 90s I think have a couple divides. I feel like, for me, like, 93 95 there is sort of a sea change in what games can do and you see a lot of like changes in the way interfaces like look and behave um and then i would say there's there's probably another major shift around uh like 2000 uh as as sort of those old styles begin to get refined and and things start to look maybe a little slicker overall right where i think Mm -hmm. i think sort of like through the through the mid 90s you have like almost like tons of functions being added to interface you could because you could support a lot more and then around 2000 around 2000 it kind of feels to me like you you sort of start seeing this push toward um it's it's not a bad thing sort of a push toward usability uh in a way that I, that I feel like a lot of mid 90s interfaces are kind of indifferent to uh but but at the same time that doesn't mean that these games from different these different eras i have a certain reaction you know it like it doesn't mean i'll react a certain way right like there's there's games from those those periods that i can absolutely i can absolutely go back and play um I think the Master of Orion uh, example you, you you had earlier, Rowan was was an interesting one, be, because for me, um, when when we went back and we revisited those games a few years back, I really felt that I couldn't handle uh, Master of Orion one. Uh, sorry, Master of Orion two, uh, because that one I felt like I'd seen so many different games trying to be Master of Orion two. Uh, and Master of Orion One was was different enough and and kind of crude enough that I was I was able to sort of enjoy that because at least it was different, right? At least it was it was sort of a crude, clunky, uh, kind of ugly interface, but it was also a very different game. Whereas Master of Orion Two, uh, you know, was was a little more sophisticated in some ways, but also felt like sort of the uh, sort of the rough draft for a a, a ton of of space four axes to come a garbage pile <laughs> mountain of samey <laughs> yes i'm really looking forward to solaris troy really looking forward to <laughs> we'll see if we get you a copy <laughs> well not not with that attitude <laughs> after, after roman goes off like that i don't know if he gets a copy I... blacklist um yeah i mean it's I don't want to go too far down the technical route because then it just, just just becomes a show about wow games sure are old and different because um, yeah they are <laughs> uh, but I because but because you know as Rob said there are games that are 
you will you will invest your time in trying to learn again, no matter how bad the interface is. There's something about them that you will keep you will soldier yourself through. I mean, I will never play Imperialism back in the higher difficulty levels again. I'm never going to be that good at the game again. But I will, you know, reinstall it every now and then. It's on, you know, GOG.com, so I bought it and Imperialism too. And I'll play them and I'll relearn it and I'll never be good again at them. Um and it's not just because you know, there hasn't been anything quite like it since, but because there's, it's a game that speaks to, it's, it is sort of an emotional, I was, the, the best thing ever written about imperialism was written by Bruce Garrick uh, for Computer Games Magazine back when that was a thing. He wrote a retrospective essay on it, and he called imperialism a slow burn game. And Imperialism was a game that came out when I had time for slow burn games. I really don't have time to wait for the game to be a third over to for everything to really start to happen. Uh, I just don't have that much time in my schedule. I don't like games like that anymore. But Imperialism came out at the time when I did. I was in graduate school. What else was I doing? You know, the PhD can wait. There's all these new games to play. Um, so there is this... A game that ages gracefully can sometimes be... I think it's gracefully for, for me. I'd be interesting if it ages for any gracefully for any of you because there is this emotional thing that makes you want it to age gracefully. Whereas, I mean, in the email you send out, Rob, you suggested Age of Empires has not aged gracefully for you, and I agree with Age of Empires too. I, I the new expansion came out, and I tried to play Age of Empires too, and it's wow. This not only doesn't look great, and not only is the interface terrible, it's really been surpassed in design. I appreciate it was probably really great at the time, but it offers me nothing. I never had an emotional connection to Age of Empires 2, and not also not invested in learning it again. And also, it just does not hold up. What it does has been done better. It was done better in Age of Empires 3. It was done better in Age of Mythology. Um, but, you know, you could argue Rise of Legends. Some people argue Rise of Legends is a better game than Rise of Nations. But, you know, it's sci-fi, steampunk stuff, so... Goes in the garbage mm-hmm. bin as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> no matter how good it is, you know, keep your ze- keep your zeppelin somewhere else. Brian Little Reynolds. weird, wild, wild west kind of shaped spider creature. I will no get it. No, no, nope. yeah, doesn't My and tigers fighting zeppelins. What the hell, Brian Reynolds? What are you, th- <laughs> what are you thinking? Uh, Someone else is going to get blacklisted from Stars. Yeah, <laughs> I kid. A lot of a lot of very good people worked on Rise of Legends, but you know, it was, it was a good game. But it's not a game that I go back and reinstall. It was a game that I enjoyed quite a bit at the time. I played probably more, as much multiplayer Rise of Legends in the months after it came out as I did Rise of Nations. But I have no desire to go back to it. I don't even want to find out if it aged gracefully, and I suspect it hasn't. I suspect that it hasn't for a number of design choices that they made with, you know, the the whole fixed base system and which it is fitted fixed bases and, you know, three unique factions. So it's age of mythology, but not good or not as good. If I wanted to play a game like that, I have age of mythology. Yeah, I mean, I, this is why I think the, the the personal angle of it cannot be extricated from the rest of it, and it's, it's sort of a humility that that my kids are constantly teaching me. I am I am done showing them games I used to like because they do not care at all, and you can't make the like you, you you know even if you go into here's why this is a classic game, you just hear the echo of yourself, you know, kind of beating your head against a wall that can't be broken through unless you have that past connection to do, it. Do, 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 do you play the old man music too? 
Yeah, I do. I, I first I give him a Werther's original, both of them. Here you go, kids. And then I give him a brand new shiny dime, and then I tell him about the games of 1996. And you play Rush? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm always playing Rush. That's that's just standard. That's nothing special. All right, we're done. <laughs> I old man the show right out of existence well that was the final episode I hope you enjoyed it we're all in agreement some games age gracefully some games don't let's move on alright so I have a recent example that might be interesting um, because I was talking about the technological shifts of like 1995 but I had sort of a, a dead zone in games that I was playing so I decided to go through some of my Steam library and hit the games that I have been meaning to play and one game that's been like it's taunted me for like four years on steam sales and i finally got it was anno 2070 mm. oh god I, I i'm in the same boat i have not bought it and i just sit there every now and again like i i really should buy that game well i did buy it eventually i don't remember exactly when of course <laughs> but um and I finally just like clicked on it, and this is a game that just screams like 2010, and it's really <laughs> yeah. weird because like you don't figure like a strategy game from 2010 or whatever is going to have a really distinct interface, but this is all about like all these different social things where you get to vote on things with other people, and it gives you like daily quests to do, and the interface is this like antiseptic dentist's office thing that you know it could be in burnout paradise it could be in anno 2070 and it just like i bounced off it so hard even though like nothing about it was like a really negative thing it was just like this is a game that is so much of its era that i just cannot like even see past that and i don't i don't know i didn't i didn't think that was an era that would have that in that way but well, it did. Oh yeah, because I because I actually played that not too long ago myself, uh, and and had pretty strong reactions to that interface as well. Uh, and, and I think part of it with that interface is it's it's kind of this magnificent uh, like peak peak Ubisoft creation, uh, where like this thing was designed like in this uh, idyllic mindset, right, of the day. When all PC gamers will be plugged into Uplay twenty four seven, and we must create, we must create an interface for Anno twenty seventy that is worthy, that, that is that is worthy of the uh, Uplay future we are we are creating. And so what you end up with is um, this this really this this really busy interface that's designed to be talking to a really active community. Uh, an enormous global active community that is no longer there. So you 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 you, you sort of you, you sign into this interface, and there are all these things that are clearly built to be like showcasing like current events in within that community, uh, you know, d contests, challenges, uh, stuff like that. And it's all talking to nothing. You know what I mean? It's all it's all dead. <laughs> And I, I think that's that's actually going to be one of the things uh, that's going to really cause a lot of games from like 2010 to through to today to age terribly is that increasingly a lot of them have a lot of features built around uh, proprietary servers uh, that, that will be turned off, you know, in, in two or three years or or they'll simply be abandoned uh, and there'll be like huge swaths of the game that no longer 
uh, that, that can no longer really function uh, the way the way it was de- designed. So you end up with this weird like vestigial experience. Uh, I think when I went back and I was looking at a bunch of old racing games, uh, like EA is a prime offender uh, on, oh, this, yeah. on, on, oh, yeah. on this score because EA's games are all about uh, sort of getting people into their into their program, getting them onto EA servers into Origin, uh, keeping them there. And then forcing them onto the next EA game that replaces the one you were currently enjoying. Uh, and so when you go back and play these older games, they, they, they barely work. They also all have this similar interface, which is this like really crisp thing that's I just I just cannot stand, I guess. I realized as you were talking that I bounced off FIFA like 14 or 13 just as hard because it had that same sort of like, here's all the social things you could be doing. And it was all this like super innocuous dentist's office music and look and everything. And Need for Speed is the worst for that sort of thing. Like, get, yeah, here, log in and get your crew together. Imagine playing that in like four years where you're just like, there's no, I'm the only one playing this game. There's nobody else out there. Well, and, this and is the loneliest experience. Even if you get your crew together, you can't <laughs> get your crew. Uh, yeah, even exactly. if you do that, you can't play it with them because the game will no longer support right. that. Like, Need for Speed the the last good hot pursuit game they made uh no longer has any multiplayer support uh to speak of so you just like log in and the entire interface is like man we're gonna post all your friends best times and you can post like (laughs) highlights here and all this stuff and you're like cool sounds great all right match me up and then it's just like oh uh I guess there's something wrong with the servers. Maybe maybe try back in a in a little while. It's like Ghost Town, right? We're like back. In, it was like back in five minutes, but like the nuclear apocalypse happened in those five minutes, <laughs> and nobody ever came back to work. Um, but no, so I think I think that's that's actually a good point because I think a lot of games uh, are going to look really bad in a few years as these as these things sort of age out. And the reason we notice it with with Anno is that. It's a strategy game that actually tries to embrace that. And most strategy games don't, right? Because strategy game developers kind of know they're not cool. Uh, they're never going to be the... They're, they're never going to be, uh, you know, that season's game the way a racing game or a shooter is meant to sort of live for a nine-month period. Uh, strategy. Most strategy designers are both thinking longer term, and they're also not thinking that we're going to have millions of people using our servers every day. That's that's just not a reality they, that uh, that they have to worry about. So Anno just ends up being this really bizarre thing because it's it's entirely built around this like enormous thriving community uh, that that no longer really exists. And yet, here's the thing. I will say, I kind of, I kind of do like that interface, though, because it does try. Like, there's also a lot of in fiction elements as you're playing the campaign that's trying to get you in the mindset of being like a mid- middle manager in this weird future corporate world. And it's it's a really bizarre thing. It's like we want you to like we're we're going to turn your computer into this sort of really cool like weird future future interface. Where you're answering emails from lousy coworkers and getting internal memos about like new corporate new corporate best practices, and I kind of it it's, it's it sounds really dumb, but I kind of loved it. I, I I appreciated that. I think if I had like a background in more ammo stuff, I would have been able to like go into it more. Um, but then it was like it, I just felt like 
instead of like using wood to build buildings it was like making me go find basalt or whatever and it just felt like it was obviously a reskin of a thing that i hadn't played before so i was just like why don't i just go play the original thing where wood actually makes sense and so that that didn't help either but um, that's not really related to the show specifically what about games that so like okay the red alert example we can say that game's been totally replaced there's you you can throw you can throw a rock and and hit five games that are kind of like red alert and more recent but what about games that are still are still fairly singular uh and and are good uh there's stuff that like you know you you admired about them but you just you just can't go back and i was thinking about this because i was thinking about um uh, Steel Panthers, actually, which was one of my favorite uh, war games. Uh, it was really great turn-based hex war game, uh, tactical level. It was it, it was maybe maybe the best uh, like turn-based tactical war game uh, that that had had been made. It's sort of the the peak of that craft, um, and I can't go back and do it anymore. Uh, I tried I, I tried a number of years ago. Uh, there's there's sort of a Steel Panthers World at War collection that's kind of all the Steel Panthers uh, stuff slammed together, and I went back and I just I just couldn't I I, I didn't I, I didn't like it anymore it it it, it kind of sucked and it's it, cause, and it's weird because it was the game I remember and I just didn't want to play it anymore and that was that was a weird feeling so, for me was it because your tastes had changed something about the game didn't ring well for you or is that steel panthers you realize just how ugly a game it is because it is certainly not an even if even for a war game uh steel panthers is an ugly ugly game um i think it wasn't though for its time right like i in my head it was one of those things where you realize that your memory rewrites itself and basically creates an impression of an experience, but doesn't actually record the experience you had. So like my steel Panthers in my head was this like vivid, colorful, amazing war game with, you know, some of the best sound effects I've ever heard. Uh, And the reality was yes, a pretty, a pretty aggressively ugly game. That's how I've kind of, I'm kind of worried if I were to go back and play Age of Rifles, if I'd feel the same way. And this is a game that I would love to see remade, re-released. It's one of my favorite uh, war games from SSI uh, of the time. And I think one of the things I liked most about it were all the scenarios I could download for it. Because we had a great editor and lots of people would do all their weird little battles from, you know, African colonialism or Korea and... Could I find those again? Um, could I not? Would I be stuck with the scenarios that were designed, which are kind of okay? I mean, the expansion added a encounter generator, and it was all right. But I think what I liked about Age of Rifles was, you know, to tie into the whole social networking thing you mentioned today, was that there was this vibrant scenario design community that kept the game fresh and interesting. And I'm not sure if those still exist anymore where I would find them because they don't have, you know, blog rings anymore. Um, and I, I, I'm quite certain that the sound effects that I thought were rich would not hold up. I'm sure that the, oh, wow, that's the difference between smokeless powder and ordinary gunpowder made a huge impression on me at the time. Probably right now it wouldn't. Um, 
but it's, it's a game I'd, I'd like to see remade and redone. But I kind of, when you mentioned Steel Panthers, uh, I was thinking, huh, I wonder if that is my Age of Rifles. I wonder if this is a game that I'd play again, I'd reinstall, and I'd be like, huh, I really like this, did I? Okay. Troy, I, I just Googled and found a 27 meg collection of 800 plus scenarios for well, Age of there Rifles. We go. <laughs> so, there, there we uh, go. Did you think to try Google? Because. Not in the middle of a podcast. Well, okay, that's fair. Because I, I just, <laughs> Troy's a professional. No, I remembered, like, I was. Uh, I, I, a couple of years ago, I lo- went to look up what happened with the. Uh, Forgotten Realms Unlimited Adventures, which was SSI's gold box construction oh, yeah. kit. Right. And I just found a ton of games for that. Like it was they had like total conversions into Dragonlance and all those things. It was Forgotten Realms and the rules are different. And they had like a remake of Pool of Radiance in that. And it was uh, just tons of scenario. They had like the original D D scenarios that they like constructed each single each one. And it was it was really impressive and it was actually pretty easy to find. So uh, I wanted to see if that was the case with Age of Rifles, and I don't know if these are like the best 800, but... You want to um, show me up on the radio. We know what's going on here. <laughs> um, <laughs> but um, one of the things that I think is important here is a sense of style, and like I I agreed with Rob that like I remember I never actually played Steel Panthers, but I saw ads for it in magazines, and it was the best-looking war game around. And I looked it up, and yeah, for 1995, this was probably really good, but it had no really distinct sense of style. And mm. if you go and look up like Panzer General Two with its painted maps and like that yes. bombastic music and mm. stuff, like that is a game that had a really distinct sense of style, and I would go back and play that. Like I I just got um, whatever Panzer Corps the panzer general remake thing um because it was on steam and on sale and i was like i'm really excited i'm gonna play some panzer general again and it is ugly as sin <laughs> like i there's i I'm, I'm sure the game is good and i'm sure that it just happens to no. be the tutorial because right. <laughs> we'll talk about things that, that have not aged gracefully it's a panzer general design has not aged gracefully yeah but i was still but i still think panzer general 2 like is still a decent place to go get that experience Part of that is that, like, they painted those friggin' maps. Like, that's something that would look good no matter what. And, like, I think that Ultima 7 is still one of the best-looking games of all time because it's this really Mm -hmm. handcrafted thing, even if it is, like, 320 by 200. Um, It's designed to be the thing that it is as opposed to just kind of, yeah, war games look like this. Let's make it look as good as we can within our budget. And, um, like, I think that's still playable where Ultima 6 is much less playable, even though it might actually be a better game. I mean, I think in part of that goes back to, like, I mean, when I think about that, I think about the 1995 shift again. You know, there is, there there was more of, you, you know, you don't want to kind of over-romanticize it, but by the nature of the way technology was going in, in the early 90s, there was much more of that sort of handcrafted feel. I can't help but feel like there is some, uh, there there's some correlation between the fact that there's sort of this, this tectonic shift in 95, and that just happens to be the year that the original PlayStation was released um i feel like i think it does map to um to console generations even though most of what we're talking about are pc games yes but i think i think that 
the idea is, though, that it, it, when I look back, when I go back to these games, I am more likely, you know, even though there's that sort of technological shift and that, you know, that interface shift, I'm more likely to identify with something that came out in 1994 than I am in that something that came out in 1996. You know, I'm more likely to play Street Fighter 2 than Battle Arena Toshinden. You know, I'm more likely to play, uh, you know, an old, uh, uh, you know, railroad tycoon or something like, you know, or master of orion which we've mentioned several times um you know i i i i'm more likely to go back to sort of the heydays of microprose and find something i enjoy there than you know shortly after although i i don't know man like 90 yeah by 97 98 like you're talking about the start of like the greatest era in, in pc gaming so i mean i i don't know like yeah, that might yeah i i, I well <laughs> I, I guess it depends. Again, it depends on the genre too, because I think that you know that that that's part of it for me. Is is the you know I'm I think I, it may be the golden era of PC gaming, but what is it? The golden era of strategy gaming, and I, and I genuinely don't know. I'm not looking at what came out in '98 right now. It, it but, wasn't because Europe Universal wasn't hadn't been, hadn't been released yet. But Alpha Centauri right, had been, <laughs> yeah, so yes. we had all that we needed. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Someone else got uh, a blacklist. Um, so, <laughs> so I think also what you're, the main thing here is the difference between 2D and 3D graphics when you switch from Final Fantasy VI to Final Fantasy VII, like Final Fantasy VI has intricately crafted sprites that are always going to look pretty good as long as you can handle whatever the level of pixelization is, which apparently Square can't in their mobile release, but whatever. <laughs> um, <laughs> they're, like, this what is... What a drive-by. But... <laughs> But even like Final Fantasy VII has looks better than Final Fantasy VIII because it has this sort of crafted experience mm, yeah. and it has a distinct sense of style where Final Fantasy VIII has a significantly more attempt at a realistic looking thing, which is going to be supplanted the next mm -hmm. time graphics improve and realism can be done a little bit better. Games and that were on the cutting edge of graphics through the 90s and mid 2000s almost universally aged terribly uh because like they just hadn't they hadn't like they didn't have the resources or or i or suspect the tools to do a lot of the things to that can really make things like look realistic and lifelike and it, what they could do was pretty impressive for the time like i remember like games like max Payne just amazed me like oh my god mm -hmm. that dude has a face it's not just like a frozen sprite sort of grimacing at you it was like a photo and it was like a photo it was like if you took a photo and like <laughs> stretched it over a cardboard box or a toilet paper roll and like called that and then tried to pass it off as like your friend like sort of a weekend at bernie's type situation but at the time it was it was really amazing and i do think like yes i think that's probably part of what uh happens with with panzer general is that for that time, it was like, oh, damn, it's like World War II is happening, like, inside my monitor. And then I go back, and it's like, boy, like, the, the gray blobs sure are eating it hard from the green blobs. Uh, but but there, there's something else, I think, going on in Steel Panthers uh, that maybe also has something to do with that entire era. In Steel Panthers, when I went back and played it, I was amazed how much sitting around there was in that game and just watching things happen. Uh, because Steel Panthers had a really like granular scale, like you can control each individual mortar team, infantry squad, tank, whatever. 
but the scenarios involved god i would like some of these scenarios could involve like three tank platoons which like comes out to around like a dozen different tanks and then god knows how many infantry squads uh frequently with like half track support right and then like there'd be a ton of off-map artillery and so you'd play this game and at the time it was this amazing like epic scale like you know you you felt like you were sort of commanding uh you know an entire world war ii battalion uh throughout this campaign you go back and play it now and you like hit and turn and then you just watch the ai just move hex by hex and it just takes forever or god help you like uh, the artillery the artillery uh, phase begins, and you'll end up watching Steel Panthers just calculate artillery barrages for like five, ten minutes as just like, okay, now the 81 millimeters are going. All right, here come the 150 millimeters. All right, here come the Katusha rockets. And you just sort of wander off because uh, and, 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 there's nothing for you to do. But at the time... All of this is really positive, right? Because you aren't thinking, this is a lousy experience. You're thinking, holy cow, they can make a war game that does all this and simulates all of this and is is recreating the war on this level. That's incredible. And now I go back and I play it and I'm like, boy, they just like they just throw a ton of stuff at you and kind of overwhelm you with with size and scale. Um, and they, they don't really do the job of, of sort of paring down sort of the core of the experience, you know, the, the, the important decisions, the great moments, uh, that you want out of a game, they just kind of throw it all out there and, and let you sort of muck about. And I think that's, I think that was probably something common to sort of the, the mid nineties. This is something Bruce talks about a lot, right? Uh, is that, you know, in the, in the mid nineties, uh, you still have games that are very, very constrained by by resources uh, that you could you could throw at simulations. So you had to you had to really be careful about what you chose to simulate, what you chose to model in a game. Uh, but for strategy games, certainly, and, and and especially maybe for war games, even by the even by the late nineties, you can kind of go as crazy as you want. And and by by two you know by the two thousands, like you know, there's there's nothing stopping you, which is why you end up with, with game series like Squad Battles, where like each individual rifle is calculated uh, out there on the battlefield. But there's a point of diminishing returns, and I, I think what you what you encounter a lot of times in the mid nineties is you see people embracing the new capabilities, but without a lot of thought necessarily for what those capabilities should be used for. I think there's also an element of occasional i don't know what the best word for it is but bad decisions or sloppiness so um wizardry 7 was one of my favorite rpgs wizardry gold came out on cd-rom with voices and it was designed for windows so you could actually have the mini map up while you were playing instead of going to a different thing like all kinds of these cool things but um for whatever reason they put they included all the sound files in the game as wave files so you could go and check those out and they had a second and a half of dead air between every single uh before and after every single sound effect and the game would be paused oh. to play that while that was happening so the game just took felt like it took forever in every combat and this is a combat heavy game this is you know 80 hours and 70 of those are fighting and 
it would just have this dead air that was incredibly frustrating. And so somebody went and made a patch that just took out the dead air of the wave files, and the game felt like it ran like 10 times faster. And like, I don't know if Steel Panthers had something like that that made all the artillery phases take forever, but like, stuff like that existed. And I mean, I guess that still exists in some games. Like, when you're talking about sitting and waiting, I've been playing Total War Attila, and I just watch the jutes and their ships up and down my coast for 20 minutes after i press in turn each time and like that still happens but there there's just some weird shit where it's like the division between the hyper corporate everything everything is polished into a turd versus you know the super personality filled thing left some really bizarre decisions out there troy i'm i I was sort of I, i was sort of dying to get your take on uh on some of the things I brought up a, a few minutes ago about like expanded capacity that that happened in the mid nineties. And I'm, I'm curious whether that sort of meshes with the way you view games of those eras. Kind of. I mean, I, I think there's, this is a point that yes, uh, Bruce has made. And I think Soren's made the same point, you know, that, you know, creativity is born out of constraints. This is not an original, uh, necessarily original, but I think it's best. These are the people on our podcast who've talked about it the best. Um, and there was this grand explosion of great ideas. But, I mean, it's not like, well, not like we're going back to games from 1990 or 1987 and thinking, wow, that these are games that have really aged well. You know, there's there are certain games that have and certain games that haven't. Um, so I'm not sure that necessarily has a whole lot to do with the whole um, uh, aging gracefully problem. But it probably has something that it does have a lot to think, to say I would think about why particular games that, you know, push the the first games to push the limits are often the ones that don't age well. I mean, no one's mm-hmm. looking at Myst yep. thinking, wow, I really want to go back and play Myst. But that is kind of the paradigmatic game that changes everything, right? Um, and I think every genre has these, and I wonder how many of them have really, really do hold up. But I think maybe Steel Panthers is that kind of game, right? It gives you all of these possibilities, and it was, you know, revolutionary at the time because it was, you know, the biggest and the broadest. And as you were talking about, oh, waiting for the artillery to fire and waiting for um, everybody to move their hexes, I just kept thinking back, when did I have all of this time, and why did I waste it? <laughs> <laughs> uh, because you know computers are faster now than they were uh but st- and still it takes so much time to play these games i load up these old games that take forever just even to just get loaded um if it takes me more than if it takes me too long to see a loading screen and it's not a paradox beta i tend to just lose my crap <laughs> i just lose my crap at this point um so there's there is a sense that you know a lot of Games that have games that have aged gracefully are the ones that don't waste your time. And I think a lot of games in, in that you know explosion of you know we have more memory, we have more processing power, we've got a better operating system, we got Windows ninety five. You know they were just throwing everything, see how big they could make it. You know they're testing the limits of the technology. Um, and I don't think they're necessarily all that interested in not wasting people's time, because you could sell a game. I mean I'm not one of these. Oh, Graphics are more important than ga- gameplay is more important than graphics. People, I'm not one of those halfwits because hey, graphics are gameplay. But there is a point. There was that point in you know in the '90s to 2000 where games, even strategy games, were kind of pushing the limits of what they could do. Now the war game space is kind of different because you don't generally don't have people because you know HPS has had the same graphics since 
1976. Um, but you did have, you know, the outliers, and I think Steel Panthers is one of these, these monster games, um, which were kind of amazing. And I think you're you're onto something when you say the fact that you had it gave you the possibilities that were inconceivable then, and now it's just, and that was tied to technology, absolutely. Um, I'm not sure how closely this tracks with necessarily the games that are. Um, have aged gracefully because some have and some haven't. I guess it comes down to the ones that used that capacity well, and the ones that you know wasted our time and wasted the technology. But that just takes us back to the technology: is it a good game? Is it a bad game? And uh, I think well, we're a little bit more than that. Well, what, one of the one of the key issues from particularly the late '90s is that uh, newer versions of Windows did a horrible job of emulating. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think especially Windows 98 stuff, like oh, yeah. Total Annihilation, yeah. just did yeah. not work for about ten years. Yeah, like that. That's just a thing that happened, and that's still the case. So games might be might have ran better then than they do now, and maybe you know all that time that you think you had then you didn't actually. The game was just you know better. It it ran faster. Um, real quick, just because this this I just had this memory and I just want to like talk about it real quick because it's not going to come up ever again in another podcast. Uh, but, <laughs> but Rowan, when you're talking about uh, sound files, sort of games pausing to play a sound file. I remember stuff like that. I also remember right around when optical storage was really catching on for games, uh, and you were getting a lot of like FMV games stuff like that. I remember for a long time sort of the whirring and clicking and whining of a CD player trying to bring up part of a game wasn't actually a negative thing for me. I loved that sound because it meant (laughs) things were happening and I was like part of the future and experiencing it. Like under (laughs) a killing moon, part of the like memory, like part of my memory of playing that game is like clicking on something and then hearing like... <laughs> and then Tex Murphy would, you know, say his little quip about the thing you clicked on, and it was like, oh my god, look at this! All this entire like amazing world, Chandler Avenue lives on this on this little CD, um, <laughs> and you know, obviously, obviously, within a few years, you know, it was like, oh god, just like first get those videos out of my games, and second, just let me install everything yeah. to the hard drive. Yep. You know, I I think there is. There's something about a game existing perfectly in a moment of time that actually, to my mind, makes it not makes it part of what has a game not age very well, right? There's when I think about the games that I get excited about when I see them and I go back and play them again, they have you know this, some kind of relevance into now, right? It doesn't have to be you know it doesn't have to be some sort of political relevance or emotional relevance. It can be a lot of different things. It could just be sort of thematically appropriate or it could be this sort of advance in in uh, you know interface that 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 is still out there now and makes it playable. But a lot of my favorite games I've ever played exist perfectly in the moment that I played them and I never want to touch them again for that reason. You know, I think of a game like uh like the original EverQuest. Like I never going to play everquest again i know there are people out there who who do um but but at that moment when i was playing it in in whatever year that was probably like around probably 96 97 whenever it was um 
and the sound of the internet dial-up, the, the 56K, you know, or connecting and, you know, getting online and having, you know, sitting there and staring at my spell book. It's something I never want to do in the context of 2016, but it was perfect for the moments I was playing it. I think one thing that occurred to me as I was going through these old games uh, and, and, you know, as we sort of wind this topic down, I think for me, a lot of the games that age gracefully are the ones that ended up being sort of the evolutionary dead ends or the missed opportunities or, or the things that, for whatever reason, like people just didn't get behind it and, you know, they kind of withered and, and, and died off. So like, you know, what, what I came across when I was unpacking and, and sort of really brought this this topic to mind was all right in a row I, I hit um I hit my copy of Myth, mm-hmm. the Myth 2 Soul Blighter manual, my pirated copy of Myth 2, <laughs> and my accidentally purchased Linux copy of Myth 2, which justified me pirating it a few months later on Windows. <laughs> because it's because I went to because I went to like a micro center or something. And it's like, oh Myth 2, sweet. And I bought it and it was like Linux only. And I was like, what the fuck is Linux? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so, but, but so like I was, I was looking at those games, uh, and I was thinking about like how much I love them. I actually played them only like, uh, yeah, now, now everything's relative, right? So like, I only played Mm -hmm. them like seven years ago. Uh, but that was still, that was, that was still like, you know, a, a good seven or eight years after they came out. But I think those games hold up, uh, even though there's a lot of things about them that are really old. Uh, the graphics aren't as sort of lush and amazing as as I might remember. Although I still think those sprites and 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 the colors of those of those maps are are pretty damn good. But ultimately, it's just what really makes a, a game age age gracefully is is that thing where we have the experience hasn't been replaced. It hasn't been improved upon, and the only way to sort of re cover that experience and, and access those memories is to go back and, and and play the original article and I think that also makes you maybe a little more, it certainly makes me a little more appreciative of mm-hmm. it because it's it's like you can go back to not only, not only this old game but the possibilities it represented, right? You can go back to it and you can almost see like a different trajectory, like a genre could have taken, right? If if this thing had just done a little better, if more people had paid attention to it, if more people know what you know about this game, uh, you know, we, we we'd be playing better games now. Uh, but it didn't work out that way, and so now all you've got is this one thing that's never going to happen again. And I think that's kind of. I think that's kind of okay, too. I like, you know, there's something I actually like about a game not aging well. There's something, I think, noble about a game that shines bright for a brief time and then, you know, is done. It's it's, it's Night it's, Trap. <laughs> well, you know, there's a game that actually come, keeps coming to my mind. There are two games that keep coming to my mind um, that I would never play again, but that, that, that were so good for me at the time um an rts called dark rain oh yeah which was i love that game but i like it i know it doesn't hold up i know 100 percent it doesn't hold up and in the same way uh battle zone like the redo of battle zone it was like an rts and it was in three it was in 3d and you were kind of floating around doing everything in a first person perspective oh yeah um i loved both of those games but i feel like 
you know, the fact that they definitely don't age well is not in any way, to my mind, a knock against what they were. I God, you, think you Battlezone and your might actually aged well. Um, <laughs> uh, and I think some of the times, like, it's possible to separate nostalgia here. Mm-hmm. Uh, because, like, I went back and I played Seven Kingdoms, a game that I had always kind of wanted to play, like, you know, five or six years ago. And it blew me away how good it was. I think it was like a pirated thing that didn't even have any music. or, But it was like, I can get right into this. And this is something that I have always wanted RTS games to try to do. Yeah. And they've all gone this basecraft route that I'm just not enamored with. And uh, like I can engage with this. And there was like a time when I thought that I was out of JRPGs. Like I'm just not into that style anymore. I don't have the time or whatever. And then I moved in with some roommates who had worked for Sega. And they had uh, Sega Saturn with Shining Force 3 on it. Which I thought I'd never play. Because it was like $120. But they had it. And I played it. And I loved it. It was just like, nope. In 2004 or 2005... JRPGs were just in a rut. Uh, they're probably still in that rut, but um, like there are actually games that you know do hold up even if you don't have the nostalgia burst. Mm-hmm. Like maybe you, it's better if you like know that games of that era and you know you can handle what the interfaces and graphics and look so on look like. But the games themselves, like there may be things that you can dig up that have not been recreated and you can still get a rush of energy out of them i think sacrifice probably holds up pretty well oh sacrifice, sacrifice yes yeah that, that's why i thought the battle zone would yeah. because sacrifice does um and they're both fairly similar uh action strategy games but sacrifice has a, a much more distinct sense of style and a really cool story construction so uh it probably has a better chance in Battlezone, but you might, you might try, you might like Battlezone again. Maybe. I just wanted to toss this out because I think examples are a fun way to end this. But um, one of the games that perhaps is most frustrating for me in this way is Civilization Four, and it's just because Civilization Five has the one unit per hex, and I cannot deal with those stacks of doom ever, ever, ever again. <laughs> like I think Civilization Four is a better game in almost every way, or at least it's not a worse game, yeah. and it's one of my all-time favorite, most played games. But man, that one little change is just like I I can't go back to an older Civilization anymore. Yeah, it it's just, just not everything. within my capability. Troy, if you were trying to say something, I couldn't hear you. Yeah, that, 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 that one change does change everything. I'm, just, I'm the same way. I, I can't go back and play so far. Yeah. I mean, there's an argument that that is, like, my most ever played game. Uh, and it's just not... It's not happening again. <laughs> Anyone else have some fun examples? <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, you know... Actually, the one I was thinking of earlier, my favorite Civilization game of all time was actually Civilization 2. And that's even further away for all the same reasons. You know, once you get to Civilization 4, how can you go back to Civilization 2? Once you get to 5, how can you go How can you go back to 4? Um, yeah, I mean, I, th- I think that's that that's sort of coming full circle to what we talked about right at the beginning which is that a lot of times it's not that a game 
wouldn't have aged well had it not just simply been surpassed. And it's the same way with Beyond Earth and Alpha Centauri, obviously. Right, yeah. You're not going to do this to me, Rowan. I'm not. I'm not engaging with that. <laughs> oh. Oh. That was my best shot. <laughs> you know, I, I think for me, um, like I, I think a lot of my current relationship with like classic style war games um, is that's kind of an example where a, a genre ends up uh, a good portion of a genre ends up sort of um, sort of stuck in time. And a lot of that type of game no longer really appeals to me. So like, I think the same reason I don't really click too much with, um, with like steel Panthers anymore is the same reason why I don't want to play most John Tiller war games. Uh, just cause you know, it's, I would have, I would have loved that, uh, you know, 15 years ago, but now I think I want war games that are maybe a little, yeah, maybe a little lighter, maybe a little more focused, maybe, you know, don't, don't have me, you know, clicking through an entire two three hundred unit order of battle every turn uh to to move all the little all the little counters uh you know maybe i just maybe i want that sort of abstracted and, and condensed a little bit and I, I think that's where i've ended up with with a lot of them so that's a case where you know that that style of war game which which used to be just war games right that used to be pretty much the <laughs> pretty much the entire genre uh now you know the types of games I, I would have loved 15 years ago. Now I'm I'm like no, nah, I think I think I'd rather go play like Flashpoint campaigns or or something like that. I'll I'll, I'll go and see what people are doing that's that's new and different uh, in this in, in this genre because at this point a lot of those games are are, are kind of retreading past glories. I kind of feel like and I'm just scrolling through my GOG library to look up like the literal games here and uh, it. Am I ever playing Septera Core? Am I ever going back to Pharaoh and Cleopatra? Uh, what was the game with the baby? You were like a cherub or something. Messiah. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I remember that. The, I never actually played that one. It always is. It, it was in that like era of interplay being like the best thing and creating all sorts of these dead ends that have never been recreated and never got to that one. But sacrifices. My favorite, though. Oh, there's Messiah in my Gog library. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. And Giant uh, Citizen Kabuto. Good job. Oh, I love play. Giants. Never going to play that again. But my God, that was, <laughs> that was so much fun. Oh, but I am, I am gonna, I am gonna play Fallout Two probably. Yeah, I'm, probably I, I'm, I'm, I'm working on on Fallout Two. Um, but anyway, I think that will, I think that will do it for for this week's show. Uh, thank you so much uh, for for joining me this weekend and taking this little trip down our our uh, th- this ambivalent trip down memory lane. Um, as always, this episode was produced by Michael Hermes and is hosted on the Idle Thumbs Network. Uh, thank you so much for putting up with the interruption in service uh, during during my house move, and uh, we'll be back next week with the Patreon uh, theme show on Atlantic Fleet uh, and we can talk about just how bad an admiral Troy is and oh, how worst. <laughs> much like World War II admirals he really was not prepared for the onset of naval a- aviation goodbye everyone
Good night.